You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Friday, so it's time for the weekly wrap this week. The week is being wrapped by the CEO of Protea Capital Management, and that's Jean-Pierre Ferster. Jean-Pierre, it's been a hell of a week. It really has. And it seems to me that every single week there's some kind of new revelation or new shock on the JSC, whether it be an individual stock, whether it be a whole sector. This week it was a whole sector, and it was the retail sector. I mean, these things have been completely destroyed. A colleague of mine, Craig Davies, sent me a tweet today and gave me the grim truth. Shop right down. 36%, others down 30, 40, 50%. It's been quite extraordinary. It has, Lindsay. And uh, like you say, it's been a few sectors, but in general terms, one can say that in quite a few sectors, there's been over optimism that has been priced into individual shares. The retail sector is no different, or one might perhaps say it is different because there was even a greater extent of over optimism. And then as news comes out and results come out, as happened with ShopRite earlier in the week and Mr. Price later in the week, then uh, investors see that reality is quite far from their over-optimistic expectations and the share price needs to adjust for that and quite often need to adjust for that sharply downwards. And we saw exactly that happen in the last week. Yeah, this is an interesting point you make over-optimism because this is something I've been banging on about for quite a while now. How far back does the over-optimism go? This is the question I need to ask you because at some point these shares were, I don't know, in late 20s, early 30s uh, forward PEs. And I know something like is on around a 30 PE at the moment. And that's been the that's been the norm. Have we been wrong for so long? I do think that the markets have been wrong for, for a while, for a number of years. I think if you go back four years ago, I think already there were signs that fundamentals were deteriorating, but the companies were still coming out with good results, call it up to three years ago, uh, because of the backward-looking nature of financial results. Uh, but we have seen, and it has coincided with a lot of these share prices reaching a high roughly two years ago and uh, sliding ever since. So the markets are quite good discount mechanisms over the long term. And not in terms of necessarily every day the market being aligned with reality, but over longer periods when you see turning points in the market, it normally coincides with turning points in the fundamentals. So the fact that a lot of retail shares did not reach a high this year or even last year, but roughly two years ago, that's probably also the point where the fundamentals uh, reached the high point in terms of their health as well. And we saw negative like-for-like sales and other deteriorating fundamentals from roughly two years ago. How do you as a hedge fund manager look at the retail sector at the moment? Do you say to yourself, well, this is a massive opportunity to get even more short of the stock than you might already be, and I'm not going to ask you to reveal your positions? Or do you say, "Mm, now I'm going to start to have a look at this because people are capitulating. Sure. So firstly, different hedge fund managers might have different risk profiles and different ways in which they express their views in a portfolio. Some take high conviction approaches and concentrate their positions if they feel that they have a high conviction in something that might happen or a a, a valuation that they feel is simply wrong. In my case, I prefer to have diversified portfolios, to diversify my risks and not have concentrated risks in my portfolio. So I have been short, let's call it the retail sector, I won't get into specific stocks, for longer than a year now. And 
Uh, our fund investors have benefited from that with very strong returns from the shorts in the portfolio. But it's not as if I've had, call it a 20 or 30 or 40% short in the retail sector. I've still had a short uh, at different times around 10% uh, in terms of a sector allocation or a sector short in the retail sector. Uh, but even if you have a diversified approach, you can still make good money because so many shares have fallen, if I just focus on the short side, whether it's in the retail sector, in the financial services sector, or other uh, small and mid-cap companies that are exposed to South Africa, that if you saw the turn in the underlying economic environment happening in South Africa, you could make money not just by shorting retail shares, but shorting a more diversified basket of retail shares, financial shares, and even general industrial shares. Okay, so you, essentially you've been short of domestic South African stocks. I have, and and this is also quite interesting because I found myself in the last week actually buying some South African domestic shares. So it almost feels like when the pessimism is at its most vociferous when we've reached the maximum point of pessimism that is actually the best time to buy so i'm not necessarily ringing the bell and saying we've reached the bottom but what i do say is the whole time i'm trying to to compare what's happening in reality to what's discounted in share prices and what is discounted what has been discounted in share prices now is so negative that in my opinion i think we're close to the point where one can buy a lot of these shares because uh, the, the worst has been priced in. And as long as the worst doesn't happen, there's always a chance the worst does happen, whether it's an IMF bailout or a credit rating downgrade. But if the worst doesn't happen, a lot of these shares now, for me, for the first time in a number of years, uh, are showing some value actually to start uh, buying some. Okay, to start buying some. Now clarify this, please. And again, I don't want you to give away your secrets because I know you hedge fund managers are very cagey, but you, are you starting to buy back shorts or are you going long of something? A little bit of both. So uh, once again, on your point, remember, hedge fund managers also like to meet with management teams and speak to CEOs. And when you publicly disclose that you're short their shares, you generally don't get an invite to the next company meeting. <laughs> That's why a lot of hedge fund managers don't like to disclose their shorts. So I have cut down a lot of my shorts, covered a lot of them. I still have a number of shorts in the, my portfolio. But uh, for instance, in the retail sector, I am now long to retailers where I have been short just about every single retailer in the market for, for roughly the last year, year and a bit. So yes, not just closing shorts, but even going long a number of individual retail positions. And I can tell you my overall net position in my fund uh, for the last year has been under 30%. And in the last few weeks, I've crept up slowly but surely to now be closer to 50% net long, which is an indication of, uh, of me seeing more value appearing in the market. Okay, and that's presumably quite a gradual process, 30% to 50%, because that's quite a big uh, percentage move. If you start to believe that there is going to be uh, more bad news, of course, you're quite nimble enough to turn it around quite quickly. Exactly. And the job of a good hedge fund manager is to also still uh, try to hedge the tail risks, those extremes, that if you get an extreme rand weakness or extreme drop, that your portfolio never gets blown out of the water. So I still have some of those positions to, to make sure that any tail risk does not hurt the portfolio too much. But at the same time, I'm trying to make my investors money. And after one has made money on the short side for so long, I think it's important not to lose sight of the fact that uh, one must be nimble enough and flexible enough in your mental approach 
to know when you need to make money on the opposite side. And Bentley, that's quite difficult near a turning point, whether it's the top turning point of a market to start going short, which for me, when I look at the US market, we might be near that point, or in the South African market, maybe being closer to the bottom and needing to do a 180 and start going long again. Those are very interesting points in time. And it, it is fascinating that I feel we're at a similar point in South Africa and in the US in terms of being a turning point. But it's the opposite. In the US, I think we might be near a top. Well, in South Africa, I hope we might be near a bottom. Yes, but unfortunately, our two fortunes are inextricably linked, Jean-Pierre. You can't say that if the US has reached a top, then South Africa is not going to succumb to the potential downside in the United States. So it would be a tragedy if we were reaching the bottom in domestic terms. But on the other hand, the international markets exerted a negative influence on us. I mean, because that will happen, of course. Quite right. Look, now one speaks to more macro-type investing and correlations and causations in macroeconomic variables. But let's say, for instance, as a small example, if we are near the top in U.S. equity markets and we do get a sell-off there and uh, a lot of investors rush to U.S. treasuries and that leads to a strengthening of the U.S. dollar against emerging market currencies, that means the RAND could weaken very sharply. Now, if you look at the JC at the moment, it's almost 70% of the earnings of JC companies that are generated in offshore currency. A lot of investors forget that, that the domestic part of the JC is actually in the minority. So a sharply weaker currency, all other things being equal, would actually boost the JSE and most companies on the JSE. Now, all other things won't be equal if we do reach a top in the US, but that's just one example to say that all markets internationally don't always move in lockstep to each other. Just like the last few years, we've had pressure on the JSE, but a very strong S&P 500. So the opposite can also happen in the next few years. You're saying that we could go it alone very briefly? Yes, for a short while. You can't do that for too long, but for a short while, we might see the JSE doing better and the US uh, doing worse. That is not impossible. As we're on the subject, it wasn't on my list. We've sort of gone out of sync here with, uh, with my uh, chronology, but... Are you short the U.S. market if you have a foreign portion to your fund? So I manage three funds. They're all three hedge funds. They're all equity long short. And in all three, I try to pick the shares I expect will go up in price and I short the shares I expect will go down in price. The only difference is the geography. I've got a fund that only does that on the JSE, a fund that only does that in global emerging markets, and then a fund that's a mix of the two that does it both on the JSE and in developed markets globally. Okay. So... The whole time, what I do, what my day job is, is to sit and read and think and analyze companies and found, find differences between price and value. That which the market thinks versus that what I might think. And I use a lot of automation in my process. And that leads me to then building a portfolio of shares that I think can go up, notwithstanding what the macroeconomics might say. And shares that might fall, also notwithstanding what the macroeconomic situation might be. It's very much a bottom-up process. I don't try and forecast interest rates and commodity prices and, and currencies. And over the long term, it's, it's worked for me and it's worked for my investors. I, I look today, for instance, uh, Lindsay, and all three of our funds, the Pratia capital management hedge funds, are up over 20% over the last two years after all fees, while the JSC is flat, literally up 1% over the last two years. Mm -hmm. So this way, my way, I'm not saying it's for everyone, of ignoring the macro, focusing on individual shares, both in South Africa and offshore, has worked for me. And that's why we're just continuing with that, keeping our heads down and looking for individual positions. And if you put them all together, you get diversified portfolios that can outperform over the long term. We'll come to those three funds uh, towards the end of this chat, but let's uh, get on with things that you're not particularly, I'm, I'm sure you're okay with them, but you don't factor them in. They're not part of your 
investment equation, if you like. And by the way, you said your day job is three funds. Goodness knows what you do at night, uh, Jean-Pierre. But anyway, <laughs> that's, for the, that's for a drink sometime. Let's talk about the CPI in South Africa, because you must admit that that fall from 4.5% to 4%, even though you're not a, a macro or a top-down analyst, it tells you something about the South African economy and how little demand there is. Yes, look, I don't track the individual macroeconomic or statistical outputs, but what I would say is a lot of these data points, uh, when you put them all together, together, gives you a picture. And the picture is one that if you looked on the ground and you used a bit of intuition in South Africa, you'd come to the same conclusion. And that, it, that is that exactly that. There's a lack of demand, there's a, a, a constraint on consumer spending, and that is exactly why you've seen that in terms of the retailers coming out with disappointing results and then getting uh, uh, hammered in terms of their share price. So uh, so that is exactly one of those points where another investor might look at these data points uh, while other investors ignore the data points, but they use intuition and what they see on the ground to sometimes come to the same conclusion before Stat South Africa releases or the Saab releases a formal data point. Okay. Low inflation in South Africa. Low inflation in the United States of America as well. And that is one of the things that Mr. Trump has highlighted when he bemoans the policy of the U.S. Federal Reserve. Now, there's a lot of very glamorous central bankers in a place called Jackson Hole this weekend. And again, you don't look at the macro, you don't look at U.S. interest rates, you probably don't even care about the inverted yield curve, but you're aware of it. What do you think? Yes, quite right. So if I bring it back to individual shares again, it's been fascinating to see in the last six months, as a lot of expectation of higher yields because of higher inflation and stronger growth in the U.S., has turned 180 degrees and we got the 10-year yield down back to well below 2%. We've got an inverted yield curve where the further out you go, the lower the, the yields are, which is normally an indication of a recession around the corner. And you have a lack of inflation while there's still reasonable growth in the U.S., and the inverted uh, uh, curve tells you that, well, maybe there's good growth now, but <laughs> that growth could be coming to an end if you try and peek around the corner. So it has been fascinating to see how this, this, this period in the last six months of sharply lower rates has boosted the equity market with a little bit more impetus. And that is exactly what I'm sure Trump wanted. As we reach the next U.S. election, where he obviously wants a second term. It has been shown that when the economy is doing well, the incumbent president has got a much better chance of getting a second term. So by sort of forcing the central bank and jawboning them in, in lowering rates, uh, it seems like Trump has been successful in pushing the S&P higher through lower interest rates just in time for the U.S. election. Now, the problem with that is you can only drive it so far. So what's going to happen nearer to the U.S. election when interest rates can't go any lower and the yield curve is already negative, telling you that, uh, or inverted, telling you that growth could be reaching a, a high point for the next cycle. That is concerning. And that is exactly to my previous point why I say we might be near a top in the U.S. markets because the strength we've seen in the last while, to a large extent, has been driven by these sharply lower, longer-term interest rates. You've told us that you've been been shorter. You're still short, but you've been shorter of South African domestic stocks in the past. What about commodity stocks? What about stocks uh, outside of the retail sector and outside of the financial sector? I mean, obviously, Discovery is a, a financial stock, but uh, stocks like Discovery and Aspen, which have been so high profile for all the wrong reasons recently, you can't talk about the stocks that you're short of, but you must have had some tactical positions in in areas that we haven't yet mentioned? Yes. What I would say is quite often when there is pressure on a company, 
the, the natural human inclination of hoping for an outcome, hoping for a turn, means that one too often hopes for a positive outcome when the facts point the other way. So when the facts point to a company with too much debt on their balance sheet or a company with very aggressive uh, actuarial assumptions, uh, one can probably, uh, it would probably be in your interest to be negative and be pessimistic for longer than what you otherwise would. So I don't want to talk in code, but basically what I'm saying is if a share is expensive and the reason for it being expensive is a lot of debt or, uh, or that has in the past boosted growth or very aggressive actuarial assumptions that had boosted the embedded value growth of the company, when that turns around, it can be vicious and it can go a long way. So, um, so generally, I stick to those positions. And um, similarly, in the US, if the valuations have been boosted by almost artificially low long-term interest rates, it means it's artificial. And that which is artificial can't go on for too long. It's not sustainable. And that is where short sellers can make a lot of money, where a company or even a broader term like a, a whole market, as in the US, has been stimulated by something that's artificial. When the artificial stimulant reaches its natural end, you can have sharply lower share prices, and that can be very profitable for a short sale. You must have had a field day over the last couple of years in South Africa. I mean, although we've got a shrinking universe, I know you invest overseas as well, or disinvest overseas, if, if that's what you want to call shorting a stock. But you must have had a field day because there have been so many companies that have met their demise on the JSC in that time period that I've just mentioned. And as I say, even though the CEOs won't see you because of your reputation, you don't really need to see them, do you? you just go through the books. Well, I like to see them, uh, Lindsay. It, uh, the part of, of, I think, being successful in investing is because we are buying into companies and the companies are managed and directed by the CEO or other strong personalities. One needs to have a view about the person at the top. And I like to meet the, the CEO and the CFO to try and assess them as people. And that has helped me in the past as well to, to know which people I wouldn't mind associating myself with and, and which I wouldn't want to associate myself with. And quite often, that's a good indication of whether uh, the share price uh, goes up or down. So, yes, I look at the numbers. Those are called the quantitative inputs. But I also meet the management team. Let's call that more qualitative inputs. And it has been a great period over the last few years. Like I mentioned earlier, the market is flat. You've had no return from the JC over the last two years. But hedge fund in general have given you a good return. The best unit trust in 2018 was a hedge fund. And our funds have given you more than 20% over the last two years. So it has been a bit of a frustration, actually, when everyone is talking such a bad news story the last two years. Hedge funds have actually done well. But because of, I would say, a bad longer-term reputation or even some people <laughs> saying things in the media that are not flattering of hedge funds that are not factually accurate, uh, we haven't seen a lot of inflows in the hedge fund industry. Indeed, we've seen outflows of the hedge fund out of the hedge fund industry, notwithstanding the fact that a lot of hedge funds have done exactly what they should, given positive returns mm -hmm. during a time when the market has given negative or flat returns over the last two years. FT article this morning says the following. This is the headline. It says, investors pull money from hedge funds at fastest pace since 2016. Exactly what you're saying. Quite strange. It is. Now, once again, globally, uh, there is a bit of a difference in terms of the average performance of a, of a hedge fund. Because if you if you do hedge fund investing well, Lindsay, and you charge a performance fee, you as the hedge fund manager can do very, very well. So it's, it's a bit of a honeypot. It attracts 
some would say the best talent in the industry, or some would also say not just the best talent, but those who are more greedy and want to try their hand at hedge funds. And that means internationally, the average hedge fund has given below average returns. But in South Africa, the hedge fund industry is extremely well regulated, uh, and we don't have cowboys to bring down the average. So the average hedge fund has done better than the average equity fund and substantially better, so much so to, to generate positive returns. And that is the frustration that the story in South Africa for hedge funds is different to the international story. In South Africa, they have outperformed, but because the international story says that active management can't outperform, hedge funds are too expensive investment vehicles, they can't outperform, uh, people have locked onto that narrative rather than the facts that show that hedge funds in South Africa have outperformed over the last few years. What you've said in the last few minutes tells me that you're not just a robotic hedge fund manager and number cruncher and bean counter. Um, but just tell me one thing. You like to look a CEO and a CFO in the eye, see the whites of their eyes. Did you meet Marcus Euster before you went short of Steinhoff all those years ago? Yes, that's, that's actually a good example, Lindsay. So I've met Marcus Euster a few times and I found him to be quite an aggressive and abrasive individual as a person. And I've attended a few uh, presentations where uh, that same sentiment came across in his style. Um, and I can also tell you that in late 2017, when I found the off-balance sheet entities by going to the company registration uh, websites in, um, in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, yes. I contacted uh, Steinhoff and I flew down one day to the head office to to talk to them about this. Now, Marcus Wester wasn't in that meeting, but it was with uh, uh, with, with Ben Lechranzi. And Ben, I don't have the same view I have of Marcus. Uh, so I would differentiate there. But what I did find was a culture of being aggressive, a culture for skirt skirting the rules. And in Marcus Wester specifically, an indiv individual that, um, that wanted to appear to be something else than what reality was and wanted to always put a positive shine on the numbers, even though the numbers were not always as flattering. And I could see wanted to promote the share rather than speak candidly about the facts and how tough things sometimes are. I'll shorten what you just said. In other words, you exposed him as a liar and a sociopath. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go as strongly as that. Um, I, I'm not a, a psychologist, so I can't necessarily go as far as that. But I would say is... I just got a feeling. I got a sixth sense and my intuition told me this is not a company, this is not a CEO that I want to give my money with that would allow me to sleep well at night. Do you have any other sixth senses? I mean, I'm not asking you to expose any of these uh, sixth sense intuitions, but uh, do you have any others on the JSE at the moment? A yes or no will be fine. What I will say is I'm busy looking at a few companies which uh, are connected in terms of uh, board members or individuals that seem to to sometimes do questionable things that are in the gray area in terms of corporate governments or regulatory rules. And um, and I'm looking into that further, and hopefully if I'm successful, there's some money to be made for my investors. And uh, as always, in the long term, the truth will come out. So those that play in the gray areas can't do that for too long. Tell me about the three funds that you've mentioned that you uh, manage during the day. Sure. So it's the ProTR Worldwide Fund, the ProTR South Africa Fund, and the ProTR Global Fund. So as the names would suggest, yes. uh, the worldwide funds invest in both South Africa and offshore. That's global developed markets. The ProTR South Africa Fund only on the JSE and the ProTR Global Fund only in developed markets. They're all three equity long short. So we buy the shares we expect to rise in price, short the shares we expect to fall in price. We use a quantumental process. This is this combination of 
quantitative and qualitative analysis that I spoke about. And uh, we were the best unit trust in the country last year. That's the South African fund. This year, the global fund is doing quite well, up almost 20% year to date. And over the rolling two and three years, the worldwide fund is one of the best funds in the country. So the performance is there. We just need the flows to come and hopefully we can get the good news story out that uh, hedge funds are a good investment proposition for investors who still want to generate above average long-term returns at less volatility than equities and can do so through shorting. Well, let's talk about the flows now because is it institutional or retail flows or both that you need? And if so, how do people get in touch with you? So we've seen an outflow both from the institutional and the retail side, more so from the institutional side. And hedge funds are quite a recent retail phenomenon. They haven't been available to the retail market up until roughly a year ago. So what we're trying to attract is both institutional and retail money. And we got one significant institutional investor just last month that we signed on. And we are slowly but surely seeing some retail investors as well. A lot of hedge funds, including ours, are on the Momentum Wealth platform and the Hollard Endowment platform. So that allows a lot of financial advisors now also for the first time to suggest hedge funds to their ultimate clients. And uh, all our details are also on our website. If investors are interested, they can invest directly with us. That saves them also a financial advisor fee if they come directly to us. And our website is simply our name, protrcapitalmanagement.com. And all the information is there and they can contact us at any time to invest in any of our funds. Minimum amount, what is it? For the retail hedge funds, that's the South African and the global one, the minimum is 50,000 rand lump sum. Or investors can also choose to uh, to invest 2,000 rand per month at a minimum. And uh, on the worldwide fund, that is what you call a qualified investor hedge fund. It takes a bit more risk, a bit more leverage. So the minimum on the qualified investor hedge fund, the worldwide one, is a million rand. But the two retail hedge funds at 50,000 rand minimum or 2,000 rand per month is quite affordable for most middle to upper income South Africans who need to save for the long term. And uh, and we think we've got a good proposition for them. Jean-Pierre, thank you very much for your time. That's Jean-Pierre Fester, who's the CEO of Protea Capital Management. And that was the Weekly Wrap Plus. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Visit strictlybusinesspodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox.